I want to talk about, I want to talk about comedy like we always do. Yep. But I want to really <laughs> analyze it. I will do some banter. You can't we organize banter, can you? What do you want to banter about? Um, just Sims, the fact that you were just, well, you were just talking about how comedians have low self-esteem. That's exactly it. But that just rolls it. into it. But whatever. Stand-up comedians are people with a lot of confidence but zero self-worth. Not me, because I've worked on it. Although that's such a... That's, <laughs> I know, it's such a... That's something that, like you'd say if you have low self-worth. But you've got the confidence to get on stage in front of a... But the only Look, people Neil, that I would say- need the validation of the... the You know, the, the need the approval. Not only the approval... It's, it's you want... A, a group of random strangers to accept your ideas, but also be social, socially amicable with them. You want both of those kinds of approval. So you are clearly desperately lacking in self-worth, but you have a lot of confidence to get up on stage and do that. That's what I think. Mm, yeah, you do have a lot of confidence to go out there and you do have low self-worth as usually too. But y- y- look, look. You can't tarnish all of them with no, no, the no. same brush. Sure, but sure, you, sure. But it, it is very true that you will see a lot of comedians that are in their 50s, 60s, even ones that are pretty successful. And you talk to them afterwards after they've done their little bit. They're sad, aren't they? But And, and still, for some f- weird reason, desperate for your approval. And, like, you know, look, I always think that the, the real... The real trait of a good comedian is the one that can kind of just be serious when they're off stage. I don't think that's unique to comedy as well. I think um, anyone who is obsessed with becoming a celebrity, I think the celebrities that became celebrities by accident or if someone else discovered them and said, oh, you're good looking, we'll put you in a film. You're good looking, do some acting classes. Like, I assume that's how the Hemsworth brothers got famous. <laughs> they were just on a, a ranch somewhere in the outback and some acting scout was like, <laughs> yeah. damn, there's a, there's a good looking man. Yeah. That's a good looking stock. Let's yeah. get you in some acting classes. Yeah. That's why they just come across so humble, so down to earth. They just seem like really cool dudes. Whereas the ones who've actually sought after celebrity status and fame in whatever art form, whether it's comedy, acting, music, I think they are deeply broken people. It's the old cliche. How many of them always come out with some sort of mental illness or depression or, and you think you got everything in the world. You're living your dreams. You're famous. You're rich. And I know, you know, it can be lonely at the top or whatever, but I do. I I really think it it's it's people who are desperately seeking approval. That's why they've got to put themselves out there so much. Yeah, that's true. But I think it's like it's it's much more highlighted in comedy for some reason. I really don't have the answer to that. But it's that's definitely true. different personality disorders because it seems from the stories that I've heard from people that you know worked in Hollywood in the upper echelons or whatever. It's not the same personality disorder there. The personality disorder there is narcissism and sociopathy. They're very brutal people yeah, okay. that have zero empathy. 
Whereas I think that comedians, yes, they are broken people. They're not brutal. They're not brutal. No. They're not brutal. And if they do screw over people, like, uh, you know, consistently in a pattern, like one particular comedian they that I'm thinking of. They feel really bad about they it. They feel like dog shit, yeah. Nars- dude, dude, I can guarantee you from the stories that I've heard, those actors don't. They are very happy okay. to crush the skulls of their enemies. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Hollywood. But you know what else I find it's all as a well? sex cult, isn't it? Yeah, look, that eyes wide shut thing was just a documentary, wasn't it? That's what he said, didn't he? He um, did he? Yeah, Stanley Kubrick. He actually said there was some quote. I don't know how true it is, but he basically said, "Yeah, it was based on what I actually experienced in Hollywood." Uh-huh. Yeah, that sounds about right. It really does. They all have those. No, they. It's pretty well known now, isn't it? It's yeah. not really yeah, it's even not a rumor. Even, mm. They all have kind of like crazy Illuminati orgies or whatever. Yeah. Is that a rumor? <laughs> For sure as well. I mean, like, why wouldn't you? If you've got like, if you make $50 million a year, what are you going to do? Where's the next rush? What do you do? You don't go for a holiday to the Blue Mountains. You go and like fuck other people that make, you fuck the person that's making $10 million a year in some bizarre cult. Where everyone wears masks. That's very mm, detailed. Yeah, yeah, Why do yeah. I know yeah, so yeah. much about that. Have I got an experience for you? I, f- I really think that's it. It's just yeah, looking for another dopamine rush. So it just goes down to like some little chemical that goes in your brain, and they'll go to weird extreme lengths to get that. Yeah, and they think they're being really like sexually enlightened. Mm, these orgies—they're just a way for us to connect with each other. No, you're just hedonistic. Yeah. <laughs> Really, you have too much money, and then then you lecture everyone about how to vote, and you're behind the scenes fucking former Disney stars with a mask on. (laughs) That's the real masked singer. It really would be weird if you were just in that scenario and you were in those like satanic sex cults. And maybe that is just pure enlightenment. I wouldn't know. We we aren't in that position, so we'll never know. We could be wrong. It's very weird Mm. to rig the... yeah. I would go as an observer. I would be like, yeah, I'll put on a mask and... I'm assuming it's exactly like Eyes Wide Shut. Where you can watch or do. Yeah, so I'd go there and I'd just watch... I would not get in the action if I was there. Well, I mean, yeah. Then when you're there, you know, if the offer again, presents itself. No, because I've I've been I've been offered orgies in the past, but not with yeah, but hot starlets. Exactly. I think that's the difference. That's the big difference. Yeah. Okay. If it's like, hey, um, I don't know who's the starlet now. I don't even know who are the young. There are no like young, up and coming Hollywood. What? Uh, you know how in the nineties there was always Phil people Collins in their twenties. See, you don't even know her name. I don't know her name, but I, I see her in a lot of fragrance ads and always think, damn, yeah, fragrance. Wood. See, that's not a star. I don't like even Zach Efron's not young anymore. Who you know? You know how all those guys, Matt Damon, Tom Cruise, all those guys—they got really famous when they were like 22, 23. Leonardo DiCaprio. Now, who are the ones that are that age? Yeah, it's Robert Pattinson. It. But he, he's, he's, he's like, like in his 30s. Yeah. That's the new starlet. The new young... Up and comer. The new kids on the block are all in their 30s. Weird. 
Well, they're not falling for the sex cults anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can, you can, they're just probably doing that and um, off Tinder anyway. Yeah, that's probably the reason. They're probably yeah, they're like they graduate. But there's Disney. one on Pornhub now, they, so yeah. They come out of Disney, and then all the like sixty-year-old producers are like, "Yeah, can you do this while all of us watch?" They're like, oh, "I did that when I was 14. <laughs> yeah, 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 this is so lame. My only friend. Well, anyway, damn. Um, but, no, but dude, you know what else though? You don't ever hear that story from comedians. Every comedian, if they go through, like, dude, their whole fucking thing is just being like, "You gotta feel sorry for me. I, I got addicted to drugs." It's, it's always that. That's their story when they get success. Uh, success. They get addicted to drugs, and then they go really low, and they steal a friend's car, and then they feel bad about it, and then never stop talking about it on every podcast they ever go on. Yeah, there's nothing really edgy or interesting about comedians, which there should be. Well, I feel like maybe there was Richard Pryor and George Carlin seemed like they lived a very, a much edgier. Um, aggressive lifestyle whereas the ones now yeah it's like i had anxiety and that was the low point in my life oh. i mean look i feel bad but that's boring <laughs> you know there's stories about richard Pryor like doing doing cocaine at the at the comedy club of like a baby's head now that's a low point i know to that- talk about in your comedy <laughs> that, that's be- that's more interesting that is just a little mini eyes wide shut. What am I talking about? That's fine. Yeah, the com- the comedian's version eyes of eyes wide, wide shut. shut. Yeah, and it was the just, peak. It'll just be like all the dudes on Joe Rogan and like one of the girls. Yeah. Because <laughs> you think like, dude, Richard Pryor was a game changer in comedy. Mm-hmm. So he would have been like, you know, the, the Marlon Brando of the day or something, the creme de la creme. Yeah. That's the closest he gets to the eyes wide shut orgy. Doing something that's just kind of weird and gross, but not like intriguing Damn. and nasty. Yeah, because they would never look. Stand ups can never make the kind of money that Hollywood stars make. I don't know, man. Seinfeld does, and he's probably in those orgies. <laughs> Seinfeld does because he did the show. He's a billionaire, I'm pretty sure. Mm. Um, but just your touring stand up comedians, I don't. You know, The Rock makes like. Something ridiculous, two hundred million dollars a year or something. Mm. Just insane. I mean, he—if you've seen his um, work schedule, though—you kind of think, "Oh, look, give it to him." Damn, he works hard. He sleeps four hours a day, works out for four hours, um, or film constantly is filming action movies. He's a, and he's in his—I think he's fifty. He's a very energetic. He's a lot more energetic than I am, and I'm half his age. So, I don't know, $200 million is a lot. Anyway, um, I don't know what I'm talking about. I want to talk about uh, jokes and, and, and what makes us laugh because I think in a very similar vein to what I spoke about in a few podcasts ago, which was what offends us, which is an insight into how we identify ourselves, what makes us laugh, I think is an insight into what we feel what we feel hindered by it's it's an insight into the into some sort of repression or suppressed urge that we have and part of this comes from I'm reading the um I I know you read it a few years ago but the the Sigmund Freud book 
about jokes and the unconscious. I'm not even finished. I think I'm about 70% through, but man, it's fascinating. I really agree with like everything he says about the way he really, he just intellectually breaks down exactly what jokes are, the different types of jokes. And he talks about absurd jokes and tendentious jokes. So I think a lot of those jokes that have a purpose or a meaning or are trying to criticize something or are trying to bring something down, those are the sort of jokes that really give an insight based on who laughs at them. It gives an insight as to what we feel is hindering us in some way. So he even he talks about you know smart and 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 sex jokes because that's a way to kind of offset a lot of sexual tension or or sexual roadblocks for men. So they'll see he talks about you know the two guys at the bar and then a gorgeous and then a beautiful woman comes in and then they want that but they can't have it because of you know obvious reasons um so then they they make a suggestive comment i smart because it's a way to release that tension of them being unable to obtain what they want so a lot of jokes are just a way for us to release tension um from something that is just hindering our natural uh our natural urges and 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 i I've thought about that a lot and I really I agree with that. I really think that's very insightful. A release of something you want. Not just something you want. A, a, something you want has been, you've been prevented from getting that. Not necessarily just something you want, but something that is, um, there, there's a pressure on you or there's some sort of obstruction uh, to obtaining your, uh, to just giving in to your natural impulses. And a joke is a way to release that. A joke is a way to release the tension that so, you feel of it. So do you think something like toilet humor, for example, right? Yeah. We've been embedded with, um, you know, just a sense of general decorum and proper society where we see that as all you know letting go of waste it's dirty and we don't really talk about it and we even in today's society but i could imagine even more so in whatever the 1800s or whatever so that's why when someone does make a fart joke or a poo joke or whatever um if it's clever enough he talks about it it needs to be clever enough we're then able to release that that tension that's been embedded in us about um you know, the improper nature of that particular aspect of life. You're right. I think of that, mate. I'm still grappling with everything he's talking about in that book. It's a really good book. And I, I like it. I haven't even finished it yet. I'm nearly finished. But I just, everything he's saying, I'm like, yeah, wow. That may, you know when you read some books like that where you're just like, mm, yep, good point. Never thought about it that way. That's really good. Every single sentence I'm reading, I'm getting that response. Does he talk about this? You've this read it. You, th- you've read it a few years ago. Right? Yeah, but I can't remember much about it. I've got, I wrote down like specific quotes about it. Um, y- you know, like economy of words. Uh, yeah. If you just talk about like poo, sex, or violence, pretty much every joke goes back to that. Yes, and then yeah. So he talks about like the the technique of jokes at the start. And he talks about how 
you need to connect to unrelated topics um but they have to be connect that there has to be a through line of 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 uh logic that connects them yeah, yeah. or possibility and that's yeah. yes of that's actually the definition of a joke in many ways yeah 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 that is that is and that's that stays true to this day i don't remember if he was saying this point about it though which is that humor also has to have an element of being a potential threat because i think that that's what he's talking about about masking it which is that the audience there's like a thing that goes off in your brain where if the audience member sees what you're saying as a threat, they just get offended or scared or whatever. Yeah. Um, but if they see it as a joke, if they see it as being like not real and not a threat, it goes into the joke part of your brain. And then that reward system is let off in the brain and then you get a laugh out of it. So what you're looking for yeah. is that little dance between it being threatening and not threatening. And the mm. closer you can get to that, the bigger the laugh is going to be. I think I did. I do think he can't remember exactly if he, it might not have stuck out to me in as much as some of the other points he made did. But um, that does make a lot of sense. Because look, if you're with, if, yeah, you want to, you want to sort of toe that line to the point where you've pushed some, You've you've pushed that individual's boundaries enough to to elicit a response of laughter of like that oh that you know they've they've been pushed out of their bounds of what is proper without it becoming an attack to the extent where they get defensive so you've got to find that right middle ground mm. because if you just not if you don't push someone's boundaries at all you're just saying a statement right it's not. They might not laugh. They could maybe say, yeah, I can see how that's clever. In the same way, you, you hear a dad joke, and you're like, yeah, but you don't laugh. Mm, mm. And some people would because everyone's boundaries are very different. Mm. But if you push it enough without without um, pushing it over the edge, if you will, that's the sweet spot of laughter. Mm. That is where the skill resides. Makes a lot of sense. And you know what, actually, I've heard that when people come to my shows afterwards, they're always shocked that, like, not everyone in the audience is digging it. There's always some people that are just sitting there just being like, oh, my God. And then they go out with, like, an angry face or whatever. And I think that that is just the price you have to pay. You can have Michael McIntyre kind of humor where everyone, like, it's all very family friendly and everybody walks out of it but it's never going to elicit that same guffaw laugh as if you are saying something that is like, you know, really, it's it's exactly what Freud was saying. It all goes back to shit, sex, and violence. There's some element of those things to it. And do you think because, of those, because those things are so improper, um, at least in our society, that's where that kind of release of tension, it's almost cathartic when a comedian can, will use the techniques he was talking about, which is connecting um, unrelated ideas or using uh, an expected train of logic, but then taking a turn and delving into those 
issues, well, well, at least uh, uh, components which can be broken down into those issues. And it gives people a release because there's all this constant, we're not aware of it anymore, but there's just this been this embedded repression for those particular things, sex, shit, violence, and a good joke will give us a release from that suppression. And for different people, it differs for, for, for people because, again, those boundaries for each person um, are very different. And some people's boundaries, obviously, and then that there's a range of factors that contribute to wherever those boundaries are for you as a person. But intelligence is a big one. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it would be intelligence. You, how much you're suffering in life, like all sorts of things, and what you value, your, your identity, what you value, all those sorts of things. Those that response of laughter, what we laugh at, what we viscerally laugh at, what you know, we're not forcing it or anything is an indication of what we are actually is something there that we are suppressing or there is a there's some sort of suppression of a very human instinct that is then liberated through the joke do do you think there's any truth to that yes yes but and this is the thing that I think about all of these books on humor theory. They are all correct. And I don't think any of them are incorrect. But I think that they're all just aiming at one... The, 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 there's one little aspect of it. You know what's really weird about humor? Mm-hmm. It's like... It's as creative a field as there is. You, I don't think that there is anything more creative than just... just in in terms of in terms of what is going to be good there's always things that are very unexpected in it and even if you're like a comedian that's been doing it for years and you understand the basic mechanics of jokes sure there'll still be things that happen in your set where you'll be like why the fuck is the audience laughing at that and i don't think that you'll ever be able to answer that question because like, there's like elements of absurdity to, to it. There's elements yeah. of disappointment. There's elements Definitely. of... Um, and it's all this big dance, right? It's this ballet where if you hit that disappointment at the right note, then that gives you the opportunity to come back with an even bigger or a more aggressive punchline because you've given the audience that journey, right? So it's all one... Jo- the, the show itself is a is almost like an organ... When you involve the audience and the and and the entire stand-up show, it's this, it's almost like an ecosystem, right? That's very different to taking the individual joke because a lot of this book, it's talking about just the sort of jokes that people will say person to person. You know, it's not really talking about stand-up. I don't even stand-up probably didn't even exist then. No, probably not. So. When you bring in stand-up, there's just so many more elements that come into it. And yes, as you say... But those elements still exist. Those elements still exist in humor and like talking one-on-one. No, but like when you're talking one-on-one, there isn't the audience. There isn't that whole um, background of an entire... If if say there could have been 15 minutes lead up into that one joke. Yeah, yeah. And what journey has the audience gone on into... So that's when when people, you know, when people say, Oi, tell me one of your jokes. I'm like... (laughs) <laughs> it's not, 
I can't just take like one puzzle piece out of what is essentially an entire. I you know what it, it's like. This might sound really elitist or whatever, but it would be like we won't say Da Vinci, but like a painter taking out like a one centimeter square of their painting and being like, "All right, here you go." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's what like. Do you think you're there? Yeah. yeah, it's not. It's not the same. Mm. When people are like, "Do the joke." Mm. Fuck it, like. I just never. He's made it, this book has just really made me think about it in ways that I, I, in 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 many ways, he's doing what good comedians do. He's he's articulating truths that you knew existed, but they just weren't illustrated to you in that in a way that made you fully realize how they worked. Because that's what the great that's what great stand up comedians do. They tell you things in a way that's, first of all, entertaining and funny. And they hit they they hit truths that we all know exist but haven't been articulated in, in that way before. Raising something from the unconscious. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. And? So that's what this book is. I'm, every, like, every passage, I'm like, whoa. No, yeah, book. It, it no, it is it is definitely a good book. I can't remember what he meant by the dreamscape. I think I'm getting to see like I'm again. I'm not actually. I I know what he talks about. Um, if I remember correctly, is he says there are there are very similar factors with jokes as there are with dreams, dreams. because there are ideas that are represented in illogical and absurd ways but they are emblematic of uh of uh complex subconscious processes that are happening inside of us so in the same way a dream deals with symbols and 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 things that it's telling you something about how you're really feeling or think or what you're thinking about but it but it paints a picture that isn't just it's not just sort of logically telling you it's giving you this artwork essentially in the same way jokes jokes do that they 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 take truthful concepts but present them in absurd and illogical ways hmm. that elicit uh, you know an, an emotional response and in this case laughter Ho- hopefully but see that's the whole thing it's just like element and this is something that is a pet peeve of both of ours is a humor that is too quote unquote absurdist. I really hate humor that is just based off of just being like whimsical and crazy. And it's just like, dude, that that's that's an element. That is one ingredient to humor. That yeah. You are just exploiting and you've ruined the recipe. No, I, I agree. You know, like, it, dude, absurdity works. It definitely works. Yeah. But in huge doses, it's too much. You have to find the absurd in the truthful. So you have to have elements of... of it has to be but like a logic, necessarily a do. logic through line, a logical through line, but then take a turn for the absurd. That's a that's a joke, right? But if the whole, if the whole passage is just absurd, well, that's just it's. He I, he he. I'm sure he says that in the book, right? He's like, that's just not. He just says that's nonsense, which it is, and it's yeah. I can see where how it's funny, right? But he I. Th- 
again, I have to read, re, well, I'll have to reread this. Might be some people who've truly studied this, but he differentiates that from a joke. Nonsense is not just, you know, just being nonsensical is not a joke because you're not taking the other components of humor. Exactly. Where, but in this day and age, it has been. Yeah, well bastardized into being a form of humor yes that, yeah I, I just really sit there stony faced looking at it oh, i'm with you there like it's but you see that people are making careers out of this right um well it's really but it's there's now a lot of there's this kind of weird relationship between almost activism and comedy where ideas these like sociological ideas about um, society have influenced comedy, right? So when people say that whole thing like good comedy is punching up, well, no, it's not. Who said that? No one ever said that. Like you just, I know. Make, you I, just I, fuck the co-opted of my, oh, this idea from yeah. the social science. I don't even know where that came from, but like you, that's not good comedy. No, in fact, it, it, it's the exact opposite. It punching down would be, is funny. But, like, it's not, that's not the objective measure of what good comedy is. Yet so many people just take that as fact now. I know. I know. Like, where did it even come from? I don't <laughs> fucking know, but it's someone just the said most it annoying and it sounded thing. Good. Yeah. Well, like, you know what you hear as well of just like, you know, like, good comedy uh, comes from diversity in the writer's room. You look at fucking The Simpsons, it's all white men, all of it, when it was good. It's not fucking like, there's, there's no trueness to any of these statements no which is i think is like the the major thing about humor that people don't understand there is no fucking rules in humor there is rules to jokes but in terms of what elicits laughter man it really could be anything yeah it's really a creative idea and those people are just co-opting this uh what is basically almost a politically activist mentality and forcing it onto comedy, which is in many ways, it's just, it's narcissistic, actually. You're like, hey, I'm just going to change the definition of what good comedy is to suit my political aims or my cultural aims of diversity. Hmm. What? Like, that's, you, no, you can't just change that's insane this as well. entire like- history of what good comedy is. And suddenly come up with this good comedy is punching up. Where did this come from? I don't like it, it's so accepted now. Yeah, and what are you fucking talking about? Like, <laughs> and punching up in what way? I mean They just mean in the way that you're not offending them. No, I, yeah, I know. I know. That's so, so they're they're taking their subjective ideas about not even what good comedy is, because I see these crowds, right, and these sorts of comedians, the laughter sounds so forced. It and they're clapping. Which is very different to laughter. They're like, I agree with that. That's a good point. That is very different to laughter. So they're just adapting their ideas of what good, of like what appropriate speech is and putting it onto comedians. And I, you know, I've seen the sort of like end product of that kind of comedy. We all have, and it's not funny. No. Now, I know comedy is very subjective, right? But. You know, this is something we clearly study a lot and we know a lot about. And 
the one thing you, that you can definitely say about good humor is that it's original. Yeah. And everything that you see that goes through that is processed. It's it's it's, it's going down, it's very formulaic. So it's not it's, it's by definition not good comedy. No, and then you know when you break down when you when you detach from any whatever you might think is the like ideal uh political or cultural landscape that concocts that comedy when you actually just break down the technical aspects of the jokes and the and 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 you observe the craftsmanship that is on show it's poor it's bad yeah it's, poor. it's really poor and this is really the only indicator i think that really works that i actually agree with as in that is bad comedy like punching up for instance can't agree disagree less with that statement like in my experience punching down is fucking hilarious but like and you know you can't make good punching up ones so there's no through line in that but the one thing that i've always heard people say that i think is very true is i saw that coming from a mile away if you see a joke coming it's not going to be funny that is the one thing that is true and that again goes back to this point which is that it is original if you mm. didn't see where it was coming from, you hadn't thought in that way before. Your brain hadn't made those connections. It's a good and way so you've just gone like, there you go. Think about it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The good comedian cannot, can, can connect two or, or multiple concepts that are otherwise illogical to put together and bring about laughter from that. In the way that he's see, it can't be he or she. You know, ooh, ooh, oh, slip of the oh, Freudian slip, wasn't it? Uh, Should we um, say Freudian nip? Mm. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> fuck. <laughs> now, I've lost, now I've lost my thought. Uh, so the way uh, comedian connects those concepts, if it's totally absurd. If you're just meshing together concepts that are not related, that's it can be funny, but I don't think that's a particularly um, that's not a that's not an admirable skill, right? Because then it goes into what you were talking about, which is just the absurd for the sake of being absurd, right? It's not you're laughing almost in the way you'd laugh at a character actor. It's just so nonsensical. <laughs> it's just you're laughing at it. But not in a way that you're admiring the skill, right? But if you can connect otherwise um, non-related concepts in a way that that has some elements of, of logic, but also it's absurd the way you've connected them, that is good comedy. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That really is. And And as for the like punching up and punching down thing, I just think... I agree with that, that point that he's making that there's always, there's like a release or if you want to criticize something but you're unable to do it, you can sort of subvert that criticism through a joke, right? And I talk about this on this podcast, right, where suddenly doing a podcast where I'm not being, uh, I'm not purposely being funny, <laughs> everyone wants to criticize you. You said this wrong. I didn't agree with this. And I've said way worse stuff but through my comedy. But no one, it's it's almost it's a shield. A joke. Yeah. yeah, it's a shield from criticism because people, if it's good comedy and people laugh at it, they don't think about it in that kind of, well, almost political 
way, right? They're just thinking about it in an emotional way. Did that make me laugh? Mm. Whereas when people listen to a podcast, they're like, okay, did that, did I agree with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. No, the ambiguity of moving in and out of humor, first of all, as we're saying, it just creates different connections in the brain. And so it delivers it in a way that is palatable to your brain to go along and make the connections. Mm. That is why it's very important to do it, like to, to package those ideas in humor, I think. Yeah, and that's why I think comedians don't... Comedians shouldn't be philosophers, right? We shouldn't be talking about grand moral truths. We should be trying to articulate those peculiar and strange truths that people are aware of, but they just haven't been either connected or communicated in in, in a way that it has absurd elements, but also has a logic to it and evokes... Obviously, because of that that connection, right, it evokes a response of laughter because you're like, oh, that's just the way they thought of that, the way they meshed those concepts together. It's funny because those two concepts make sense, but together um, they don't, well, they make some sense, but they make sense in a way that hasn't been hasn't really been articulated before. If that makes No, yeah, you know no, that's, that's definitely true. The thing is though, you you can do whatever you want in comedy, I swear. Yeah, like, that's I, true I as well. I don't There's no real rules. I, I don't care what message you're trying to convey with your humor. Um and like dude, you you can be as lowbrow as you want or as highbrow as you want. And but I think honestly the best comedians are the ones that just move in and out of it. It's just like, here it's time for a shit joke. Here it's time for like, you know, like a clever, you know, like I agree. or whatever. They have all of the tools in their belt. Yes. They're not constricting themselves by saying that, you know, this is what good humor is, punching up. Because as soon as you say that, you've just gotten rid of 90% of the jokes that I've ever laughed at in my life. And But like, dude, the other thing is, if you go back to like Neolithic societies, they were, there was like a, a sociologist that was trying to look at, trying to figure out, the origins of laughter. And he went to this tribe that was virtually uncontacted in Africa. They knew about it and kind of, but it was just a way it didn't, you know, none of them wear clothes and stuff. An old woman while he was there fell off a cliff and died. And the entire village was like keeled over in laughter for like <laughs> days. Yeah. See, that's not <laughs> punching up. I know. I know. Exactly. <laughs> Jesus. Like a, a crippled old woman did they not, died. Did they hate her? Like, was she... No. No, she... Dude, the, I don't know. I don't know what the elements oh. are there. It's I'm violent. laughing at the fact that they're laughing at it. But see, you're see, removing it from your... But you're removing it... Because this is what he was also saying. When you go to, like, highbrow audiences... As you were saying, you kind of just have to mask mm. piss, shit, and sex. But they still like, want that. It's still they a still very want that, but you have to try and like human urge. Exactly, but you have to give it to them in a level that is palatable to their ego. You yeah, know what I mean? Which, but like, if you're from a Neolithic tribe or whatever, and you don't have any of these concepts flying through your head or whatever, and you just see someone fall over and die, they find that funny. Yeah, well, we're so, uh, we've got now all these like defenses to laughing at something that we all find funny, which is lowbrow humor, right? It's mm. made me, it's that, 
because because it's mentioned in the book as well. That's made me like rethink a lot of even how I would write comedy normally because I'm always obsessed with like mm, how can I make this clever? How can I how can I separate myself from the other comedians? But there was a guy on Joe Rogan as well that in in a similar way to your story, right? He was talking about he went it was um a, a tribe in Africa he went hunting with and guys would just fart and they'd just laugh all the time mm. and just like they'd laugh at what a, a five-year-old boy would laugh at. Mm, mm, mm. So that's like, clearly very funny to all of us. I think. But we have layers of, uh, well, societal norms that um, prevent us from giving into that urge. So if a comedian can can articulate the same the same concepts but in a clever way or is making a point that gives us permission to laugh at what is essentially a very universal humorous concept which is in it when you think about it it's really it's pretentious it's like I'll laugh at a shit joke but only if there's like layers of cleverness to it steal a shit joke it's <laughs> it's yeah i don't like it i really don't like that about modern society and 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 you know i just don't understand why it's so hard for people to understand that lowbrow humor is funny why can't people uh, accept that it is and like uh when you look at uh more blue collar comedians right often some of their punchlines won't even be constructed punchlines in the same way other comedians would be it's like they'll just be they'll say something they'll make a point and then they'll be like yeah fuck that or whatever you know that kind of that kind of humor right and the audience will be loving it because it's character comedy first of all because they're laughing at the persona but then they are on board with the comedian who is sort of giving them a release from whatever it is that they feel repressed by so this is why i come back to this thing like so much of what we laugh at i think is what we what it 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 gives an insight as to where um our natural human urges have been either repressed or or there's some sort of suppression going on and good comedy can can gives us a release but you know you know what else is happening in that lowbrow crowd and I think this does come back to intelligence, and I think that this is why maybe you do have to mask it up, I guess. But the, the, you're masking it up in the wrong way. You're making it less removed from shit. It doesn't have to be less removed from shit, but it needs to be able to connect to shit in a different way. Yeah. Whereas I think that when you're in a blue-collar audience, most of them are idiots, and so they're just sitting there just being like, and you're just like, oh, why don't you just go do a shit, did you, mate? And they're like, because they, they haven't even thought of that before you know right <laughs> but like when i'm sitting there i'm okay. sitting there being like this isn't funny because i'm just like i thought of that joke yeah you know I, that's the difference uh, i guess so do, you don't think it's your ego masking your, you know just preventing you from no laughing at it because the best joke that i've ever seen in my life was in the movie grimsby this was done by sasha baron cohen where they hide in an elephant's vagina and then another <laughs> elephant comes in and starts fucking it 
And there's just like they're in there just getting like battered That's in the so head funny, with a right? giant elephant's penis. And then they get cummed on like really hard, like heaps of cum. But dude, like I've never. <laughs> That's hilarious, right? Dude, because they, you haven't thought, never thought of it. No. You've never thought of it. And, and it's lowbrow as fuck. Uh, it's what? so lowbrow. The thing Sasha Baron Cohen does so well is he takes you to a point where you're like, oh, this is just lowbrow for the sake of being lowbrow and then goes like way even further, further. Way and then further. you're like i gotta i gotta laugh at this i know <laughs> like that scene <laughs> in borat like nothing is funnier than when he's like 69ing the fat guy yeah, and yeah. the guy's like in, <laughs> in kazakh like eat my asshole <laughs> nothing will ever be funnier <sighs> than that no punching <sighs> up you know joke about white men is going to be funnier than no that hairy fat guy you know, telling Borat to eat his asshole in a foreign language. <laughs> in, in front of everyone. <laughs> Man. Because it's absurd, it's weird, it's new, it's fresh, it's original, but it goes back to that. Piss shit, sex, angry, like violence. It, go, it, it, it ticks all of the boxes. But because, he really understands that. But that's because we're so, we've been um, socially conditioned to avoid... And 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 suppress those particular concepts within us, right? So we're not allowed to be violent. We're not allowed, to, you know, shit and piss or whatever is. Oh, you do that in the toilet and it's all private. You know, you don't talk about it. No, dude. You know what? I think it is even more than that. Like, I, I, I look. Yes, you can argue that from a cultural perspective because we've definitely been conditioned to not do those things as much. But I think that it is. It's not so much the release of tension. I think it just goes back to that thing of just like your brain recognizes that that violence isn't actually a threat or that sex isn't actually a threat. Sure. Oh, okay. And it's the same thing with, with sex. Like, I, I, I don't disagree with Freud. I don't disagree with him. But I think that the, the, the safety, not safety mechanism in the brain, because this is just newer, because what he was talking about, this was in the 19th century. Yeah, it's the same it's, thing that everyone always says, that it's just like everyone standing off the giant's shoulders, right? Like what he came up with back then was breakthrough. Yeah, breakthrough and made people think that. in a different way that they could go there, right? He's definitely correct. But I think there's one layer after that. And this is coming through like the brain So when you talk about the safety thing, is it is it that, um, you know, that comes down to our actual caveman brain perceiving threats? So, oh, this is a threat, therefore the the... The response isn't laughter; it's actually like a fight or flight response, right? Which and so you see that with the audience members that actually walk get out offended. and like, oh fuck, that's that's a fight or a flight response. Yeah, they they got they got offended by it. I.e., they saw it as a threat. They get pissed off. They get triggered. They walk out. Like one of my friends recently. So was it really just, is just cucks getting offended. Yeah, because they're no, because they they perceive everything as a threat. You know something really? Yeah. Just before you get to that next point, yeah. right? Um. Vietnam War veterans, the 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 jokes they laughed at were like extremely hardcore, extreme, like just the worst possible jokes. Everyone else would be offended by, because they've seen it all. Mm. They're desensitized. Mm. Whereas people who were just coddled, and in this little, let's be honest, Twitter bubble, and can't laugh at themselves. Because they're probably, well, very insecure and, and all sorts of other negative aspects They see everything as a threat. They see yeah, everything so as a threat. It's a threat, so I can't laugh at that. 
Because Vietnam vets have been in like permanent threat for like four years of their life. You know, so it's an actual. It's not just a. It's not just an ideological threat to them. It's a. It's a survival threat, which is pathetic. That is so pathetic. (laughs) Jesus Christ. That you know what that gives me a lot of. Every time I'll see another, you know, tweet or comment telling me like mm, this was offensive, I'll be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll just you, laugh. You were I'll be threatened like, by yeah. that. So in caveman days, like I'd fuck you up, basically. <laughs> yeah. Wow. If you want to be that brutal about it, yeah, Damn. that's the way. That's a, that's. Where'd you get that? Did you come up with that yourself? The, no, it was that, so, like I, I can't remember because I just went through a phase of reading like fifty books on th- humor theory. And yeah, I'm in that right it was, now. It was all a, it's all a blur. I can't remember the exact one about it, but it was. Any highlights? Any definite recommendations? It was all so long ago. Uh, no, I could go back <laughs> and look at my list, but yeah, now okay. all I have That's is just this like book of just quotes from all of them somewhere that I'll have to okay. find myself. Yeah, if you can find that, man, I'll. Uh... Gladly have a read of your yeah, wisdom. Yeah. Well, it's not my wisdom. Like, see, this is the whole thing. Look, all of these philosophers, it's the same thing that's happened just as philosophy in general. All of these philosophers are kind of on the money. They kind of are. And then science comes along and it's just like, yes, but it's just this little bit here. Yeah, that right, you just right. couldn't oh, get. Because so you're there, you actually said, wait, they did brain scans on people laughing. Yeah, and that's why they were oh, saying that everything that like that that came back to it of um, I don't know tension release, which really is kind of like Freud's theory, is pretty much just tension breaking. Um, you know, uh, life encrusted onto the living, which is Bergson's uh, superiority theory, which is Heidegger's, I think. Like all of these people, they, yep. they they definitely are right about all of those things happening. All of those, but all of those theories do just come back to this point, which is just like you you see something as being, and you register it as a threat for a second, and then you realize no, it's not a threat, and your brain rewards you by saying that that's safe, so it gives you, you a good laugh. feeling, gives you mirth. Yeah, interesting. And that's what happens, man. Is like. Recently, I was just talking to a friend that went to a stand-up show of mine. I was like, how did you experience it? And he was just saying that I couldn't really pay attention to what you were saying because you put up a picture of a woman pissing in the street. <laughs> <laughs> and the I like is- how you do that. So you attack it from all, like you add that extra element of... Multimedia. Yeah, so, but, but what you're doing there is you're just sort of adding extra layers to the humor well you know what it is it's just like i i know it's it's lazy it's actually much lazier because what you are doing there is instead of eliciting your audience's imagination you're just going ah oh, just fuck it here's what i thought about and then you just show them a picture and they're just like oh yeah that would be funny you know right 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 um mm. but that's what you realize is when you do that that's how those like john oliver and john stewart shows do really well is because they just keep showing absurd images so the audience doesn't have to think about what they're saying it's just like there's what i'm saying you know you've shortcut that yeah right 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 it's Um, like a visual punchline a visual punchline yeah and 
Yeah, this one woman lost her shit and she was just huffing the rest of the show and then she immediately stormed out after the show and then she was just yelling at her friend, just being like, fuck this massage over that one picture, that one picture in an hour that just set her off and that was that. He was also saying... Yeah, she saw it as a threat. That and, and how do you, her. And so how do you then differentiate between... So there'll be a lot of jokes that we'll, we've just already talked about that we just don't laugh at because we don't find it funny. But do we also then... That's not a threat to us. It doesn't sound like it is. So how do you differentiate between... Is it that when someone gets actually upset, they perceive it as a threat? Whereas if someone just doesn't laugh at the joke, you're just like... Eh. It's not funny, but it's not a threat. Yeah, because I think that what happened in that instance, and again, because you're like neural connections have happened, which is why the same thing that happens when like, for some reason, The Simpsons is able to supersede this. I think it's just because they're just such well-developed characters that you're just like, oh, classic Homer or whatever. Yeah. But in general, once you hear a joke once, it's not funny the second time. Character yeah, humor yeah, yeah. is different. That, yeah. But in general, once you hear a joke, that's the end of that. It's never going to be funny again. It's because your brain has made that connection. It's realized that it's not a threat. So when you are confronted with new information and a new way of conveying that information, mm. you are either going to go down the threat path or you're going to go down the non-threat path. Right. So but, your, pri- your uh, primitive faculties are assessing, is this a threat? Because it's all new information, the only way to process new information is threat or not a threat. Mm. And I think that that's why like a really good trait that you see of good comedians is they will pick up the tension in the room and they say something that's clearly offended the audience. And then they'll lean into it and they'll just yeah. sit there and just be like, oh, what, what, what why is that so bad? You know, yeah. like you're just making it, easy for the audience again you're reminding them that this what they just threat. said was just imaginary yeah bill bear's the best at that He'll exactly start his exactly. bits with just a very provocative statement and then just explain it. why it's not that provocative it's br- it's truly genius um yeah okay yeah no that's interesting man um i think it's worthwhile i'm, I'm gonna look at i'm gonna go and when I next watch comedy, I'm going to observe, you know, what am I laughing at? Do I get, do I feel myself flaring up at any particular joke? And if I do, I'd have to ask myself, oh, what am I threatened by there? Do you think, you know, when a lot of men will will talk about how, oh, female comedians, is just all sex or whatever. Is that them saying it's predictable and it's not funny? Or is it them being like, well, I'm threatened by this. They don't, they're not going to want to fuck me. No, too confident. no, because they if 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 their response was just like what the fuck, then they'd be threatened by it, right? Yeah, or like yeah, they're just like I can't watch this anymore and leave. But the response that you usually get when you're watching Amy Schumer or something like that is like this sucks. Yeah, like it's just like this is dude. Okay, I'm kind of outraged at how boring this is, but it's yeah, just you're this whole thing. The fact that wow, it's it's perceived as like really good. Yeah. It's it's really coming from a different place. It's not like I can't believe she said that. It's coming from yeah. why would you bother saying that? Like it's been said. Right. This this is just a collection of really mundane thoughts that I've had on the train. 
That's that's most humor that I see, I reckon. But see, this is the other thing. Huh? No, it's a good way to mundane thoughts you've had on the trip. <laughs> <laughs> you've broken down people's careers that they've spent hours accumulating years, the, years. The, 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 scent, the words, perfecting and refining their craft. And you're like, yeah, I just thought about that on the train to Lithgow. I know. I know. I can't. Yeah. I can't handle it. Interesting. I think it's like mostly the reason that the the reason I think that most female comedians aren't funny. And honestly, yes, there is exceptions, but they are far and few. It's people like Joan Rivers, and if you listen to Joan Rivers, she's quite vulgar. Ali um, Wong's really funny. Who? Ali Wong. Have you looked at her? No, like I'm, She's I'm funny. saying they, they definitely exist. Hmm. They definitely do exist. But I think the reason that men are funnier, uh, first of all, as like Hitchens pointed out, there's like an evolutionary advantage for men because if you are funny, it's easier to get sex in certain circumstances. Yes. So like just to have that tool under your belt is helpful as a guy. There's that. But I think that another big thing about it is that men can actually... Uh, develop threat and also i think men just have very obsessive minds so they will just sit there and try and think of like original things for just a a lot longer of a period not always but there is that like you know there's definitely a slope towards that and so there's those three elements going for them but i think that one of the big ones is that they are just more threatening and so if they're able to sit there and say something threatening but not come off as threatening that's the, a good sp- position to be in. The disarmament is more potent than... The disarmament is more potent. Yeah. So, But I do think an element of it is also just there's a lot riding on the relatability of a particularly comedy where people are talking about life stories, right? So when female comedians are like, you know, when you're blowing the, this guy and then you get cum in your hair or whatever, I'm just like, well, I, that's never happened to me. <laughs> Not yet. So I don't, I don't, I'm not going to find that funny, but then there are jokes like that where I'll, I'll be like, mm, I like the way she's put those two ideas. Yeah. I like the way she's constructed that. I won't have the visceral laughter to no. it because it's like, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what that's like in the same way. I'm sure they hear, um, women will hear, you know, oh, you know, when you like fucking a girl and this, this happens or whatever. And they'll be like, no. So yeah, there's definitely an element of universality to humor. It's if, definitely relating it to people. If you have that added element of like a um, absurd persona, or you're just a funny guy or girl, that just makes it, then people can laugh at things that they aren't even relating to. Mm, mm. I don't think, and we've talked about this before. Like, I don't think I have. I don't think we have. I don't think we're like naturally funny guys. No, we have that performative element. Yeah, it just goes back to the, the childhood part, I reckon. I, I really think that people that have that funny persona, uh, they had like an upbringing where they were encouraged to be themselves a lot. And so mm. they have really distilled themselves into a personality. And they're very comfortable in their personality. Because this is the other thing that's very interesting about comedians. I think it's just like how pickup artists, I guess, can act 
not insecure long enough to have sex with a woman. They just go through all of those little hoops <laughs> to get there, but they are. Yeah, that's that's what happens a lot. Because otherwise, you just wouldn't feel this urge. Just be like, I'm going to go out and fuck 200 chicks. You know, like at that point, you're really just fucking putting notches on a belt, being like, yeah, 200, awesome. You know, um, I think it's the same with I think it's the same with comedians. Is <laughs> <laughs> like to process your thoughts and just like, okay, yeah, go go on. And what does it say? What so each joke is then just another notch on the belt? No, 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 no. no? I'm saying that. Yes, there are comedians, just to go back to what we were saying at the beginning of this. Yes, there are comedians that are insecure. I think that is the majority of comedians, but I just don't think the majority of comedians are good. And uh, they they are able to fake maybe, because I do see it a lot. I see a lot of insecure comedians on stage. And you can just feel it off them. But they are maybe the good ones that have been doing it for ages. They're able to fake being secure for an hour on stage, just like a pickup artist is able to fake being, you know, suave for seven so hours. So true, man. Damn. But that's like it's where all, good humor comes from. Is It's all an act. It's all an act. Because I, look, I'll admit, you know, when I started comedy, I probably had a lot of elements of that. Well, everyone does. Yeah. yeah. That's the big art of it. I, I think a big, Definitely. big art of it is just being comfortable on stage. Faking it till you make it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we got a. It was good. That was a, that was a really good discussion, man. Um, I'm gonna end. Mm. On a subscriber question. All right. Okay. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Let's do that. Okay. Um. And yes, for anyone else who wants us to answer a question, uh, neilcolhacker.com/slash/podcasts. Um. There's also other options for you to support the podcast. Does uh does contribute to this beautiful product that we're putting out there. <laughs> so if you can, even if it's a dollar a month, it'll be greatly it appreciated. Helps. All right. So this one comes from Kevin Yang. G'day, Kev. Hey, Neil and Jordan. It's pretty clear that both of you are, in a lot of ways, self-dependent. I'd like to ask what you consider as self-dependent. Considering that, what advice could you give to an 18-year-old currently studying a biomed degree which doesn't really allow me to work yet, to make sure he's not a complete vegetable when it comes to being self-dependent. I know that financial security is a major goal, but as of current, I don't think studying my course allows me to achieve that just yet. Also, not sure if this is protocol, but would appreciate if you could mention my name. Oh, we've already done that. Yeah, you got yours. That's all right. You want us to ma- We're not mention? I, it I again. was worried there. I was like, "Oh, he's gonna say, don't mention the name," and I'm gonna be like, "Oh, fuck, we've already done that." But all right, Kevin Yang. Good on you, Kevin. That's a good question. Cheers for contributing. Really appreciate it's it. He's from it's Victoria. Nice yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Gown Bray. Don't know where that is. Sounds nice. Do- <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I know it's that shit. Gown Bray. I don't know how you pronounce that. All right. Well, um, yeah, look, if uh, studying your degree is occupying most of your time at the moment, then it's good that you're already thinking about that. But if you can't actually afford to think about other things than your degree, you need to focus on that for the time being. And then a big thing is... um, Well, being comfortable with whatever it is you choose to do. 
and financial security is is yes that's a big thing but that might come in the future I'm reading self-help i would say it's helped me a lot it's, it sounds like it's definitely helped jordan a lot um it's interesting that he's using the word self-dependent yeah i'm trying to you know what i think i think he's just going to naturally it sounds like he's like i mean the fact that he's even thinking about that yeah shows that he's moving towards that damn he's organized well the thing is look i think that you should be looking into the reason that why you're looking into self-dependence why why do you think that that's important that's a good that's a good point like you know what there's like this there's this technique called like the seven whys just ask yourself this. Why do you want to be self-dependent? And then, like, as he was just saying there, like, uh, I don't know, it seems like he was just talking about that he thinks that self-dependent equals financial security. Then, okay, then you just ask yourself, why do you want to be financially secure? You just go down and you yeah. try and find the root of that. But I would say I'm that... I'm guessing he's coming from a... Similarly with, like, an Indian background, from an Asian background, and your parents just make money. Yeah. Work for yourself, you know? Don't depend on any anyone else. In yeah, many ways, drilled, very drilled. conservative mentality. Oh, yeah. No, they, they're drilled into that. The thing is, though, I never have ever used that phrase, I don't think. I, I've it, It's never come into my head. I'm just naturally like that. So it's interesting. Sure. Do you think that you are naturally a self-dependent person? I would say uh, a big part of it is also having multiple arms to whatever it is that you're doing so that if one thing doesn't work out or if you don't want to be too dependent on say what we have that i think is great is that well at least what i there's 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 different avenues of income right so like what has happened with coronavirus um if you were just a stand-up comedian and i feel very bad for them but they're all like they can't do anything they can't do anything in this period because well now they're starting to do gigs again but not not in melbourne but like they they put all their eggs in that one basket, whereas what happened with me was like, yeah, I was depending a lot on stand-up comedy. In fact, it was the bulk of my income. Boom, coronavirus hit, can't do stand-up. All right, let's make some more videos. Let's do some more podcasts. So there were just other, there are, you know, there's not just one path I'm traversing where if there is suddenly a roadblock in that path, that's it then. There's there's different avenues where there's probably a main avenue there, but there's still different options that I have, and I think that's um that's quite liberating in many ways. No, that's definitely look. If you're looking for financial dependence, that's definitely exactly what you should be doing. You should be diversifying your income streams, and that just naturally comes through with life. I think it just look you get those opportunities that come ahead to each other. <laughs> Stock advice now. <laughs> Diversify your portfolio. <laughs> and they're not wrong because then what happens, right? If you just put invest it all into one company and goes broke, it's like boom, all your money's gone, right? Mm, mm. So that's it's very logical advice. But look, I would look into the point of view, just looking into why you actually even want self dependence as a goal in the first place, because you're using that word. That's that word is important to you. And you should be figuring out why that is important. Doesn't it make sense? Maybe I need to ask myself that question then, but doesn't it make sense to then not have to rely on external sources to a certain degree? I mean, to a, you know, 
you're going to have to, you know, you rely on the supermarket for food. And the, I mean, if you really want to get to a point, you can go and live off the land and be extremely dependent that way. But yeah, it's ill-defined in that as well. Exactly. What, what is yeah. self-dependent to you? Because that that is self-dependent. True. And that's not actually impossible, right? If you want to go and live on a hobby farm, have a rainwater tank. I've thought about this. <laughs> have like a yeah, rainwater yeah. tank, solar panels, and truly just not depend on it. If anything else goes wrong, you want to be on top that of things, it, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that actually is a goal of mine one day. Um, And the reason is, but well, it just, you're resourceful then. And that's just like a major draw card for, well, it's just like a good, it's it, to, to be resourceful, but to be resourceful across many domains. Well, don't you think that even it's, that, like if you're using the word resourceful as a, as a goal of what you're changing towards, you're just going to be changing your life entirely. If you're just like, I want to be resourceful as opposed to, I want to be self-dependent. To me, self-dependent mm. seems like it's like a very limiting goal in life, and especially if it's ill-defined. To me, it seems like a very defensive outlook on life and a defensive goal. Resourcefulness doesn't. Resourcefulness right. to me seems like it's like quite expansive so, and also like a little more socially aware, I guess. So maybe um, the value that he's placing on self-dependency actually comes from some sort of, well, I don't know about trauma, but like some, you know, bad experiences depending on other people. Maybe. Could be. Could be. He's going to have to ask himself that question. Mm. But the thing is, look, I think that if you don't focus on self-dependence and you have another goal, this is the whole thing. If, if you just get a better question, like it's the, it's like the old saying, like get a better question, get a better answer. If you are able to get yourself a better goal than self-dependence, like if you, if you are seeking after it, I can guarantee you from the way that you wrote that, you will achieve that. But the question is, do you really want to achieve that or do you want to achieve something that just automatically handles self-dependence, you know? Mm. I don't know. That's my two cents anyway. Okay. No, that's um wise, wise words. All right. Well, Kevin, hopefully that... uh helped you out let us know thanks kevin yeah email me let me know how uh we thought of that advice and again if you want to um if you want us to answer a question that's the ten dollar subscription um neilkohacker.com slash podcast as i said on the last podcast i i sort of take care of the managerial side of of this so that's why it's going through my website it's not me taking all the money (laughs) (laughs) Uh, although if I was, I would obviously say that. Yeah, yeah. don't worry about it. <laughs> um, and there's not many left. Like I said, there's there's limited amount. We're only going to answer so many questions and do so many listener suggested pods. So they're already pretty much more than half gone. So Indeed they are. Um, thank you for the people who have subscribed, and thank you for listening to this podcast. Um, share it. Uh, leave you know if you can leave us reviews and all of that. Follow us on Spotify. Um, been really interesting. The trend, it's just constantly gone upwards, the followers and subscribers. There's never been like a plateau or anything. It's really good. Very so much thanks. appreciate it. Thanks, Thank guys. <laughs> yes. Um, that's a look up, watch Grimsby, where, uh, yes, watch that Sasha scene. Cohen and, uh, Everybody Rebel tell Wil- me. Is Rebel Wilson in there as well? Nah. 
As oh just, no, I think she is. But look, all I can remember is that elephant. scene. No, no, she she's not in there. Okay, it's just him and some bald guy. That sounds. That I'm like going to watch the movie because I, I watched the start of that movie and then I I don't know it was on TV or something and then I didn't end up watching the rest. But it was funny. I bet you they cut that scene out. That's too hot for TV. All right, well I'll download because I just want to see that scene now. Yes, you do. All right. Well, see you next time, guys. Bye, guys.